Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Amen. All right. Y'all doing good? All right. <clears throat> I can't preach as long as Pastor Roddy this morning. Um, because Pastor Marcy's next, that's why. So... Uh, but we better get into it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. We thank you. You're so awesome. And you made us awesome. We're great people because of you, because we've come into your kingdom. Now, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're going to do exactly what you are you are assigned to do. Jesus said when he comes, that is the spirit of truth. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to teach us all things. He's going to disclose things to come and cause things to come to our remembrance. So I thank you, Lord, that you're going to bring things to our remembrance today but also continue to strengthen us in areas maybe we've not seen so that we can walk out your kingdom mandate in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody sleep good? Right? Okay. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45. We're going to start there. I'm going to kind of carry on the theme a little bit of what Pastor Roddy talked about last night. Uh, it is true that I did make him do this uh, book, you know, because at the end of the day, like you said, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in us that we just don't do sometimes. And um, the reality is sometimes there's messages that come up out of ministers that there's an anointing there. Uh, I knew that when I started ministering on Joseph's life, I used to title that message, The Fat Cow. You know, I was a youth pastor, so you got to have a catchy title. And um, But I would bring the message all the way up, you know, to where the, the Pharaoh had a dream of seven fat cows. And those fat cows, obviously, when he had the dreams, was uh, a dream of destiny for Joseph. It allowed him to get into the position that he saw in his dream you know, 13 years earlier. And it seemed like every time I'd preach that message, man, there was just an anointing on it. Man, I just, you know, just from God. Uh, so if I ever wrote a book, I always thought, you know, I'd write that book. And, um, and we did. It wasn't the first one that we did, but it definitely was there. When Pastor Roddy ministers on the King Con, man, there's an anointing there. And I remember being at camp meeting at Ramah and, um, you know, just praying about what I wanted to do and what the Lord wanted me to do. I had a personal desire to want to preach on the King Con. Uh, but I'm like, you know, Pastor Rod is going to be at Ramah one day ministering and he's going to preach that. So so I went back. I said, I, you know, I've never been so tempted to want to preach your message. You know, and that's the word of the Lord. I could do that. But you, I just sensed he would be there one day. And he's going to minister that. So I said, you need to write a book on that or I am. So he went to the hotel seven days. And I think he wrote three days, laid out the other four, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but it was great. And it is a great book. If you did not get it, you need to get it. And um, he did a really good job of, of keeping the simplicity of its truth. Uh, there's way more when he preaches. Um, but he desired that people would just be able to pick it up. That's what I love about Pastor Darrell's books is that, you know, he's not writing, you know, to have a lot of volume. He's writing so that you can get something in you. And the reality is most people aren't going to, they don't want to take a whole lot of time to read. In fact, we all um, grew up on Brother Hagen's books and his books were small. You know, they were just great teaching. He never intended to write to become famous. He intended to write to get a truth out, yeah. right? It's just so many people are all writing to try to become something. They don't realize they're already something. 
You know, that's what I love about the message Pastor Roddy ministered on and Pastor Daryl talking about righteousness and, you know, is that we, we are already something in Christ. We just need to discover it instead of trying to, you know, get ourselves out there where everybody recognizes us. Just be recognized by Jesus. Be content because then you'll actually do great exploits. Until then, you're not going to do anything. All right. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45, I want to talk to you about being crowned. Have you ever played the game of checkers before? You know, in checkers, the goal is to get to the other side so that you can what? Get crowned. Because once you get crowned, well, then you got a lot more movement. You know, other things open up as an opportunity. You're not limited to one direction. Right? You can move about in a different way. A different law applies to you once you're crowned. Are you hearing me? So, you know, you need to be crowned. You need to recognize that you're crowned by the king. Amen. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, it says this. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God, who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited, says the Lord. Uh, I am the Lord. Or he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So as Pastor Roddy said last night, you know, God pulled out this canvas and his greatest masterpiece was us. Right. So when God created the earth, he created us in mind. You know, everything that was created was for us in mind. Amen. Now, again, um, we understand that God is God, but we're his kids. And um, that gives us position. Hallelujah. We cannot think of our old dad through our old dad anymore. All right. As Pastor Roddy said last night, you're all awesome. Well, you are because you're of Christ. Now, if you were outside the kingdom, you're not awesome. You have the potential to be awesome, but you're not awesome. Because the reality is, the Bible says that there, Jesus said this. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. So not everyone on planet earth is in the image of God. And not everyone on planet earth is God's loving children. But we hear this in churches all the time among people. Oh, well, we're just God's loving children. No, no, we're not. Well, we've all been creating the image of God. No, you're not. You're not in the image of God because you're outside the kingdom. And you are actually destined for wrath. And in fact, the Bible says wrath is being stored up against you. But as Pastor Roddy said last night, real powerful, one decision. You're one decision away from greatness. One choice. One prayer. Right? And then all of a sudden, that's gone. So I, don't, I no longer identify with my uh, other bloodline. I'm talking natural bloodline or spiritual bloodline that my former way of living. I don't identify that way. I identify in my in Christ or in the bloodline of Christ. And once you get into that, man, the whole world opens up to you. The world God intended for you to have in the first place. OK, in Psalms 115 verses 15 and 16, he said this. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth. He has given to the sons of man. Now, I'm just reiterating some things, but using additional scriptures. Why? Because if you actually take notes from everyone who's ministering, you'll find that we're using different scriptures, but they all point to the same thing. And that is the Bible's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. That's what you're going to conclude. And to conclude anything else means that you don't want to see it and you want to stay in a religious book. That you're trying to make the Bible and the Bible's not that. All right? So the Passion Translation, verse 16 of the 115th Psalm, says it this way. The heavens belong to our God, 
They are his alone, but he has given us the earth and what? Put us in charge. That's great. Because again, at the end of the day, nobody wants to be in charge. I mean, we want to be in charge when we were with our father, the devil, but we weren't in charge. We were slaves. But then we come over here because of what Christ did for us. We have this lowly slave mentality. I'm not worthy. You know, well, God's in control. Well, he's in control of his word, but he's put you in charge. So at the end of the day, if you want God doing something, then you need to get connected with God, declare, decree, say what he said, believe God, pull it in. You're going to have a part to play in that period. You're going to have to do that. All right. So the earth he has put us in charge of. We have an assignment here. Look what it says in Psalms 8, 4 through 6. The New Living Translation says it this way. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You made them a little lower than God. Now, that's a better translation because the King James, the New King James, those translations say a little lower than angels. But the word is actually Elohim there, which means God. So they didn't translate it correctly, some of those translations. But it says this, that you're made a little lower than God because, again, we are made in the image of God. We are like God. In essence, we are sons of, not angels, sons of God. Well, if you're sons of God, I mean, just in the natural, your child, any children you've had, they have your DNA. They have, they resemble you. They have attitudes like you. I tell this to parents. I said, now listen, if you are a master manipulator in your sin, don't think that your child, because you have them in church, won't have tendencies to want to pick up that same master manipulator. And instead of you, when your parents weren't taking you to church and you were lying and manipulating them to get what you want, they'll use scripture to manipulate you to get what you want, get what they want. Oh, hallelujah. But, you know, what are they, oh, what are little church, you know, families think about their kids? Well, they're angels. They're not angels. Okay, they're not angels, right? They're either devils or they're coming over to the kingdom, becoming children of God, one or the other. Amen. Joshua, he's usually pretty open about his kids. He'll be like, they need to get born again. My daughter needs to get born again, right? You know, you're just being rebellious. You know, you're of your daddy, the devil. You need to get right. Don't play. I mean, might as well be truthful with them. And they get born again at a young age. And something changes in them. Amen. Okay. So anyway, he made you a little lower than God and crowned them. Crowned who? Them. Who's them? That's us with glory and honor. He gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. This has been in your Bible the whole time, right? Yet for years, a lot of us have been praying, Lord, do something, do something. He's like, you're in charge. Hallelujah. Genesis 1.26, how do we know he put us in charge? Well, we see this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our what? Likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the original intent or the original inhabitants were not of a different culture from the home country, but were actually offsprings of the king himself. So God's purpose in creation was to extend the invisible kingdom of heaven to a visible earth. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our father, not his father. But we act like it's Jesus' father. 
And we're, we're like, you know, the outcast child. You know, in today's culture, there's things I can't say anymore that we use as vernaculars to be the child separated, you know, the one not wanted. And so, you know, I distance myself from saying those particular statements anymore. But the reality is, is that we act like we're the outcast kid. You know, but Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be on as it is in. He's never changed that thought process. So again, his purpose in creation was to extend his invisible kingdom of heaven to the visible earth. It was to expand his spiritual kingdom to the physical earth. It was to fill earth with the influence and culture of heaven. And yet, because, you know, we've lost sight of the true gospel and we took the door, as Dr. Miles would say, man, we're hugging the door. We like walk in the door again. The door that you came into gives you entrance. And that is the cross, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. He's the door. He said, I'm the door. I'm the way in right through what I do. You can get back in the family. So we walk in and then we stare at the door the whole time. And we hug the door. And we hang around the door and we put the door around our neck. Right? I mean, I don't put crosses around my neck anymore. I'm done with that. Okay, now if you wear it, that's fine. I'm just saying I'm done with that because Jesus is not, uh, I'm not remembering him as the one that's always on the, he's not even on the cross. He's on a throne now. The reality is I, I, I have forgot my past. I'm no longer going to sit around and wait around and think about how horrible I used to be. Because I'm new, I'm someone, I, I have to take so much time to discover my new me. Why am I spending time having to remember my old? Well, now you better remember where you came from. I, I'm, I'm too busy discovering who I am now. I mean, I know where I came out of. But now I'm going to continue to drive to find out who I am, what I've been called to do, what, who God made me to be, what he intended for me to have the whole time. And that's going to be the rest of my life and into eternity in discovery. Right. So to sit around and say, well, poor, I was. Well, I was. The only time I think about my past is when my flesh tries to show up and I say, you're dead. You don't own me. You don't control me anymore. Are you hearing me? So Adam lost the kingdom, not a religion. Therefore, the redemptive work of the creator would be the reestablishment of his kingdom on earth. That's why, again, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this for a child will be born to us, a son will be given. Again, I want to key in on the fact that a son is not born because the son always existed. A child is born, but the son always existed. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? So we understand it's the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The son's always existed, but the son had to get clothed in flesh because Adam, who had the dominion, lost the dominion, so it required a man to get it back. So God said, you know, um, that he's going to send a child. A child's going to be born. He's going to put his son in. And what's going to happen? The government will rest on his shoulders. Not a religion. Not Christianity. Can we say that? Now, there are things that we say and, and we're not trying to be negative or attacking. It is there to provoke you to think. Because honestly, 
when I encountered the kingdom and realized the book is about a kingdom, it's not an escape plan. It is not an escape plan. When the kingdom confronted my religion, which was an escape plan. In fact, I say it this way. We were all preaching a death gospel. I'm talking about the church that says Jesus died and raised from the dead. Now, what do I mean by that? Where are you going to go when you die? That was the question. Where are you going to go when? You know what? That's what Islam's asking. Where are you going to go when you die? They're living life for the next one. That's what Buddhism does. That's what Hinduism does. That's what all the religions of the world is to live away for a something later. But the kingdom says you can have things now. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a later additional reward and assignment. It's just because we finally eradicate the whole sin system. It'd be gone. It'd be done away. It would be thrown into the prison system of the kingdom, which is the lake of fire, the second death. And that will be there for eternity. And you'll never want to go to that prison. In fact, we will not evangelize that prison. There'll be no evangelism in that prison. Are you hearing me? But he'll eradicate it. Then he'll make a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. So there's many things to do. So in essence, the kingdom confronted us and said, this is not an escape um, belief. It is an empowering belief because he wants to empower us now. He wants to give us. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to bring that government back to the earth so it can function. Even in this in this dispensation we're in, it can function. Okay, y'all all right? Okay. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Now, where are the shoulders? Right here. They're in the body. They're below the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. And we are the what? Body of Christ. So the government flows through the church because it's the body of Christ. Again, it's better for us to rethink of our churches as embassies. We're an embassy because you're ambassadors for Christ. Okay, and we're hearing from the home country every time we come together. You're like, what's the king saying? Amen. So that then you can take it out into your world. All right. Okay, so the government will rest on his shoulders and they will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his what? No end to the increase of his government or a peace on the throne of David. Thrones are in kingdoms, not religions. And over his kingdom to establish it, behold it with justice and righteousness. From then on, forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Can I just say this side thought? No matter what's going on in the earth today, it, it will all come before the judge. There's no such thing as an injustice gone without being judged. It does not exist. Okay. Kingdom is not a religion. It is a government. Kingdom defined as this. A kingdom is the government influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, producing citizens expressing the culture, values, morals, and lifestyles reflecting the king's nature. Why? Well, you're, you're looking in a mirror, and you're in the image of God. You are to reflect him. In essence, when you see yourself, you should say, I see a king. I see a king. But now you're going to have to change your thinking to see a king. 
because, you know, you're conditioned to think that you're not. You're conditioned to think you're unworthy. You're not worthy. In fact, you have actions in your life that you think have hindered you from being useful. Yet God says, no, I don't even remember that. Number one, I removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. But as far as any trespass against you, at the end of the day, I'll heal you from it all. It doesn't own you anymore. It's amazing how we allow our past to still dictate us. Dictate how open we are. I mean, there, there are so many believers that are walled. They're walled. They got distance. They can't get close to no one. They really don't have freedom, but they want to go to heaven. But freedom exists, but it doesn't matter whatever came upon me, what someone did, because in the world there's sin. We did sin, and sin did stuff to us. Right? We are both um, the bully and the victim at the end of the day. We did sin, and we, were, we, we bullied things, meaning we operate in a way that we hurt people's lives, but yet we ourselves was hurt. And it's amazing that we'll allow ourselves or we'll allow God to forgive us of all the actions we did towards someone else, but we'll hold on to the actions someone else did to us and keep a low self-esteem. And that low self-esteem will hinder us from walking in our kingship because we're identifying still with things that happened to us through sin instead of God has wiped me clean and forgave them of what they did for me. I mean, Jesus, imagine when he's on the cross, he says, forgive them, Father, for they, I mean, I felt like they know exactly what they were doing when they punched him in the face, when they beat him with stripes, when they pulled his beard out. I mean, it was pretty intentional by the Roman government. Now, in the whole grand scheme, if they knew who they were doing, they would not do it. I get it. But again, he's still forgiving them, saying, I'm not holding that against them, although I've been victimized by them. Okay? Because, again, you're not going to reflect the king's nature if you're holding on to a reflection of things th people have done to you. So, again, what is a kingdom? It's the government influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent. It produces citizens expressing the culture, values, morals, lifestyles, reflecting the king's nature. If Jesus did nothing on his own initiative, why do we think we can in the kingdom? Right? I mean, we must become proficient at not my will, but your will be done. Hallelujah. And that's empowering. I said that's empowering. Now we know Adam lost the first. Uh, lost the kingdom because he ate of the fruit, but the Lord instituted a plan. In fact, Pastor Roddy mentioned this yesterday when he says, you know, God had a new seed, and here it is in, the, in um, Genesis 3, 15. It says, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So God had an intent. And the intent is, I'm not changing my mind just because Adam fell from dominion and gave it to the devil. I'll just come get it back. I'll send my son. He'll become a man. That's why Jesus' statement, son of man, is more powerful than him saying son of God. Because he's saying, I have legal entrance here. 
And so when he was tempted of the devil, right, into the wilderness, in essence, you know, he's like, you know, I'm not going to fail like the first one. I mean, I've got his, I've got his record. I know we're, we're where we're at today because of that. And just one disobedience. So you know what? Instead of me thinking on my own, I'm just going to say it is written. I'm going to keep myself connected. Are you hearing me? And then ultimately in the one in Matthew where it says he takes him to a high pinnacle and showed him all the, do all the domain in a moment of time. That's territory by which you could rule over. In fact, the devil was saying, I'll make you king over this. But all you got to do is bow down and worship me. I'll make you king over all this. But Jesus is like, I'm taking it back anyway. You just don't know it. I'm going to conquer you. See, kings only lose their power when they're conquered. And he said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. I've come to conquer this king. This one that has power and dominion. That was rightfully, because the Luke account says this, this domain was handed over to me. He says, well, I'm coming to take it back. And he took it all back. Hallelujah. Amen. But in order for this seed to show up, he had to get a bloodline. Are you hearing me? He had to get a bloodline. And it started with a man by the name of Abram. Now notice what he says to Abram here in Genesis chapter 17. Okay, because you were always destined for royalty. Probably one of the hardest things for us to communicate concerning the kingdom of God is getting people to see themselves as royalty. Because when you understand you're a royal, you'll act different. Look what it says. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be what? Hallelujah. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of what? Not religion. It was never about a religion. Of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called what? Abraham for I have made you, made, past tense, you the father of a multitude of nations. I will, ex I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations from you. And what? Kings will come forth from you. What's going to come from Abraham? Kings. What's going to come from Abraham? Kings. Kings, plural. Kings are showing up. I said kings are showing up. Well, because this is, this is uh, after the fall, this is the first royal family. I said after the fall, this becomes the first royal family. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? Drop down to verse 15. Verse 15, he goes on and is talking to him about his wife. Okay? And he says this, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her that anymore, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be called a what? Mother of nations. What's going to happen? Kings, plural. Kings of people will come from her. Kings. You say, well, why is this important? Well, turn over to Romans chapter 4. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Why we need to go back and look at Abraham and Sarah. Why is this important to our lives today? Well, Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. For this, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the what? Descendants. Not only those who are of the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who is? Who is what? The father of us all. So anytime you go on to Ancestry.com and give you a little bloodline and find out what your percentage stuff is, I could have saved you a lot of money. Because you want to get back to your father. Now, ultimately, we know we can trace ourselves back to Adam, but Adam wasn't a good dad. But Abraham is a good daddy. Abraham was great daddy. Because of Abraham, kings are coming. Because of our royal ancestry. It's important because bloodline's important. I mean, right now we just found uh, queen, the queen in England passed away, and now her son has become what? Now, he has two boys, right? The Prince of Wales and the du Duke of uh, S name. I don't want to say it because I'm sure I'll mess it up. But, you know, it was Prince William and it was Prince Harry. I don't even they, you know, he's Duke now, right? So when the queen was alive, right, it was Prince Charles, Prince William, and who would be next in line? Harry. But the minute William got married and started having kids, Harry, because of bloodline, got moved from three to sixth. That's before the queen died. Because all of a sudden, um, we have Prince Charles before the queen dies. Prince Charles, Prince William, his first son, his daughter, his second son, Harry. And you're a king by, by blood. Are you hearing me? You're a king by blood. So the minute William started having kids, Harry's chance at the throne becomes less. If, if William had had no children and his dad's king, Harry would be second. Now you understand why, you know, in the natural monarchies, why kids started getting killed off. Because <laughs> his bloodline. I said his bloodline. Well, are you in a bloodline? Oh, come on. We are a royal family. We're in a bloodline. I said, we're in a bloodline. He says, so the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, right? Abraham was the father of all, all verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations um, have I made you in the presence of him who believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your what? Descendants be. Let's look at Galatians 
Look at Galatians 3.29. It says, and if you belong to Christ, if conditional statement, which means you cannot belong to Christ. And if you're not belong to Christ, then you're not royal. You're not royal. But if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's what? And what comes out of Abraham and Sarah? Kings. 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 Now, this is tough for us in the U.S. because, again, we were raised under a different type of government, right? And um, although it's supposed to be centered around a law that's contained within our Constitution, you know, we democratically can um, elect officials that are supposed to submit to that document. But there's a narrative going on, and they're calling us just a democracy. Now, true democracies never last. They never last. Why? Because eventually the morality of that nation will go rogue. Because, again, all have sin. And people who sin only have one interest, self. And you'll eventually find someone that says, I'll take the power, I can do it better than anyone else. So all you got to do is get the majority in a democracy that's ungodly to establish laws that help them. And then eventually someone is going to seize power because true democracies become a transitional government in socialism. And then socialism will run for a little while until eventually it becomes just a dictatorship. Okay. But see, we don't want to study governments. Why? Because we've been indoctrinated of the separation of church and state. And that government church isn't supposed to even exist together. Yet, the church is actually only a government. The church is actually only a government. It's the kingdom of God. Amen. That will take over the planet. Amen. It will take over the planet. And right now, the takeover is in on peaceful terms. Okay. It, is, it, it has a legal system of immigration. Yeah. It has a border, and that border has a gate, a door. Now, it's narrow. <laughs> oh, you don't want to hear this. It's narrow. It's not wide. It's narrow. And there's only one way to get in legally. Only one way. You've got to be born of it. Hallelujah. But you can be born of it. But there will come a day. That the suffering servant who came first will not come as a suffering servant again. He'll come as a righteous king. He'll come ruling with, a, with an iron scepter. And that rulership's going to look different. It's going to look different. And, and 95% of the church is not ready for their king. The religious leaders were not ready for the king. Right? Although they were looking for a king. And he came as a suffering servant. But still proclaimed his kingship. I mean, he slapped told Pilate. 
Pilate said, they say you're the king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? He said, did somebody tell you about me or did you learn this on your own? He said, look, look. Look, I'm not a Jew. Your people have handed you over me, the chief priests. You know, what have you done? He said, well, my kingdom is not of this world. So he starts talking, my kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean my kingdom isn't in this world. He said, it's not of this world. And how do we know that? Because how he describes it. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews. Meaning I've got a legion of angels right now smoking the planet. I got documentation of my history where one destroyed 185 Midianites. Just one. You know, remember you told Peter, said, don't you know I call a legion of angels down right now? It would not be good for the planet. Would not be good for the planet. Right? He said, now, if my kingdom operated like yours, this would have been over. He said, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. He says, so you are a king. He says, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this reason, or as Pastorati said last night, for this cause, I've come into the earth. For this cause. Amen. Now, Jesus himself evaded man. Because he knew the hearts of men and he knew they wanted to put him on the throne. But Jesus doesn't need man to put him on the throne because he's already. He's already on the throne in heaven. <laughs> he's taken the throne back in the earth and then he's going to go back and sit on the throne in heaven. So he doesn't need man to help that process. In essence, he's like trying to get man a seat. I said he's trying to get man a seat. Because the difference about our kingdom, other than the kingdom of England, is that the more kids that get born into the kingdom, it doesn't move you out of a line. We all get the same seat. So we're not intimidated the more that comes in and gets born of God because we all have the same seat. So if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's uh, descendants, heirs, according to the promise. Your royalty. Amen. At the end of the day, when you go to work, when you go among people, you, it, you're a king. You're royalty. Whether they treat you royal or not. Now, again, in our kingdom, our royalty is a reflection of serving. Because Jesus is the king and he pulls out a towel and he says, I'm going to wash all his feet. Right? What does he say? He said, now listen, the world system and their leaders, they lord it over. Why? Because they're hungry for power. But you, you're not hungry for power because you have power. If you want to be great, you're going to work. You're going to serve. You're going to do. You're going to be a doer. You're, you're not going to be trying to, you're not going to be trying to jockey to get to a chair. You're already in a chair. Ah, so sad. That the body of Christ is jockeying to get into a doggone chair when they're in a chair. Oh, I, they want to get up. Oh, can they recognize me? Are they what are you doing? That's the world. Pastor Daryl Huffman's ministered at a camp meeting for years. Uh, you've been consistent since what year? 23. No, 23 years. 23 years been consistent. Boom. Ministering there, right? Well, he had someone that he had went to school with or knew, came up to him after he ministered one time, and he says, um, man, can you introduce me to Pastor Hagen? Man, I want to be able to minister at camp meeting like you. 
What'd you do? He said, well, you drive out here with hardly any money. You eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You sleep in your vehicle. You just keep doing this. Nobody even knows you're here. Well, he didn't like that answer. Why? Because they're jockeying for position. They don't know their kings already. They're religious people. Don't even know. Anytime I see a person jockeying for something, I realize they're religious. They don't even know they're a king. They don't even know they're a king at all. Ma, ma, ma. What's the key? kingdom principle of kings is this. The king is the ultimate source of authority in the kingdom. And through his authority establishes the kingdom. Here's some qualities of a king. You need to understand because you're a king. A king is never voted into power. Therefore, a king can never be voted out of power. If Christ has made you king, then what are you concerned about? Man didn't get you there. I remember one time I took a thought. I started to entertain a thought or, or it kind of hit my mind. And I thought, hmm, I wonder. And so I remember ministering uh, at camp meeting. I think it was the first time in 2016. Uh, it was the second time I ministered. And, and Pastor Daryl, Miss Bonnie, and my wife and I were walking out to the car, you know, and, and it just kind of hit me. You know, it's like, wow, you know, this is crazy that this has happened. But, you know, if I think about it, I've developed a relationship with Pastor Daryl. He has a strong relationship with Pastor Hagen. I'm sure they've had conversations about me at some point, you know, and, you know, maybe through that course, Pastor said, I'll give the guy a shot. So I was like, Pastor, I really appreciate you, you know, our friendship. You know, I'm just, you know, value. But he he knew in the spirit. That there was something behind that that I, you know, questioned a little bit. Maybe I'm just here because of the natural relationship. And I'll never forget it. He pointed in my face like this. He said, don't you ever forget that it's your gift that got you here and your gift alone. You know how many people are trying to get around people just so they can maybe be noticed? When you're a king already. And why don't we rejoice when another king's getting another opportunity? What's it matter? What's it matter? I mean, how does it, how does it um, um, oh, intimidate your seat? Because you don't know who you are. True freedom comes when I'm on the same seat they are. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And it's silly. Pastors are the worst, you know. And I don't do this, but they do. Oh, how, how big's your congregation? How big's your congregation? What a dumb question. They don't all come anyway. <laughs> Nobody's comes. And, if, and, and all that are coming, how many are actually doing? Right? I mean, you know, you could live in a rural area and like they, they, they try to make you feel intimidated because... I mean, you could be doing more in the community than somebody. In fact, I would submit to you the majority of small town churches are doing way more than the large churches in rural counties. I mean, in um, metropolitan areas. How do I know that? I know by the way the political landscape is. That's how I know. They're doing nothing. They're not turning it or changing it. Okay. 
A king's authority is by birthright. Aren't you glad you're under the blood? Aren't you glad you've been born again? A king's word is law in his territory. Now, this is important because you're a king. That's why you got to watch what you say. That's why you can't. When you declare things as a king, you set it in motion. Again, Esther Mordecai, she's married to a king. He gives a law based upon Haman, and it's law. Esther exposes the error of that law or the intent of that law, and her husband says, Honey, that doesn't change the law now that I've killed Haman. So he said, Mordecai, you're going to take his position. You're going to have to do an amendment to the law. Oh, y'all. So he had to write another law that the Jews could defend themselves and not be charged with murder. So anytime you say, I'm no good, I'm sorry, you're setting things in motion. You better get an amendment out. You better get a different word. You need a rest because there's power in your voice. A king personally owns everything in his domain. Let me show you this real quick. Put that picture up. Uh, can you do that? I, I gave him a picture. See this picture right here? This is dominion because I'm a king over a domain. It's called St. Augustine specifically. See where it says St. Augustine up there? All right. And then it says Palm Coast. You see that? And there's a blue dot right there. That's where I live. That's my house. Okay. Now, see down here where it says low high? See that little green thing? You know what that is? That's a hurricane. That's Ian. All right. Okay. This is on September the 29th. The Tuesday of that week, I came into prayer. Six o'clock. And who was in there in that prayer? Joshua, were you in that prayer? All right, y'all come up here so y'all can testify, and I'm not lying. All right? I came into that prayer. All right, I'm not a lying preacher, but I am a long-winded one, apparently. All right. Am I lying? I haven't said anything yet, but thank you. I appreciate it. That's grace. I love it. Thank you. Okay, so I came in, and I said, why is it that um, all of us, uh, want to do what Jesus did, but only in healings and casting out devils. Jesus said the works that I do, and typically when people are like, well, we can lay hands on the sick. Well, you know, we can cast that devil out, though many don't want to do that anyway. Most of them are pretty comfortable with laying hands on the sick. But you know what? Jesus had other works than laying hands on the sick. A work was speaking to winds and waves. But what do we do? We've taken the world's narrative. This is a God, act of God. Thank you. This is an act of God. Now, if it is an act of God, he's going to tell me. Right? If not, it's just the earth travailing because sin's in it. So I talked to him. I said, now talk to me. I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I mean, I had actually come and say, Lord, honestly, I didn't even know it was out there. I was that disconnected this season because it's been really kind of light. 
And I, I didn't realize, I said, now, Lord, you know, I don't want to miss something because of my negligence. And he reminded me, he said, well, that storm rose up pretty quick on the lake. I said, okay, thank you. So I said, Lord, what do I do now? So the Lord gave me instruction. He said, a cold front's coming down. Command it to come down quicker because cold air at a hurricane is disruptive. It do something. So notice that, uh, that little line there just up underneath my house. That's a front. So on Tuesday, it was up in Atlanta, north of Atlanta. And we prayed and touched and agreed that that, that cold front would come down quick to disrupt and chop off this hurricane. And we touched and agreed. And it came down. And it stayed right there. That's its lowest point. Because of that, it turned faster. Now you say, well, what about, I'm not over Fort Myers. I'm just going, I'm sorry. I mean, I have to be honest. I'm not over it. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things going on in places that stuff happens. You know, and as you know, in Florida, you just got to understand this. There's a biblical principle. If you build your house on the sand, I mean, it is what it is. So if it happens, I mean, it's just kind of a natural occurrence. All right. Uh, it, it is. It is what it is. OK. All right. And again, I'm be honest with you. You know, you can take it or leave it. I don't care. But a lot of the places that some of these storms hit, they are second, third homes. Now, it makes good news real. But it really doesn't impact the people that those homes are being destroyed as much. Some, yes, others, it's not. Now, that doesn't make it easier. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you hear a wrong. They always come to St. Augustine to tell you how bad it is because we flood when it just rains bad. So they're definitely coming with a lot more rain because it helps their narrative. Oh, look how bad it is. These guys were downtown in the water up to where? In the storm. <laughs> Was it a threat? They were playing. <laughs> so you watch the news guy, out here in St. Augustine, it's really bad. And they're like walking through like, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, they were in the background of one of them. <laughs> Our guy's waving. Now, I only wish they would have heard God to walk on the water. That would have been pretty spectacular. <laughs> right? Now, if you'd have been on the seawall and it gave the appearance you were walking on the water because of how high it was. All right, young, uh, be seated. Anyway, we prayed that and God heard. See, when you know you're a king, you know you can do something. This is what I'm talking about, understanding your royal bloodline and getting in the kingdom is no longer you're going to be subject to the things going on in the world. You can go to the highest king and say, what do you want me as your under king or another king in the earth that represents your kingdom? How do I respond or what do I say about this? But the fact is, is that most religious people think the audacity that you could talk to a storm. And I think the audacity that you don't. 
A decree of a king is unchanging. Right? A king chooses who will be a citizen in his kingdom. Aren't you glad Jesus picked you? The king embodies the government of his kingdom. In essence, when you see a king, you see the kingdom. Okay. So when they see you, you they should see the kingdom. Anybody broke down in heaven? Anybody sick there? Broke? Disgusted? Depressed? Subject to plants? Through alcohol, cigarettes? No. So then you shouldn't be subject to none of it either. The presence of the king is the presence of his entire kingdom authority. When people, and that's what they recognize about Jesus from the religion. He said, this man speaks as one who has. This is the oddest religious figure we've ever seen in our lives. In essence, I'm not one. Jesus said, I was the king. I am a king. And I'm here to save you and get you back into your kingship. The name of the king is the essence of his power. Aren't you glad we've been given his name? Now, let me finish up with these few verses. Proverbs 8, bring it home to you. 8, 15 and 16, the Passion Translation says this. I empower kings to reign and rulers to make laws that are just. I empower princes to rise and take dominion and generous ones to govern the earth. God has empowered us through the blood of Jesus and his name to rule, to reign, and to govern now especially our individually our individual lives and then anything the king needs us to say concerning things. Can I say it this way? You have more authority in what's going on on the planet than you think. How do I know this? We have more diplomatic immunity than you think. I'll give you a case in point so you can get it in a government perspective. God has a problem with a nation that is not honoring him. So he wants to put a sanction on it. The nation happens to be Israel. And the king happens to be Ahab. So he raises up a government official, a prophet by the name of Elijah, and says, we're putting a sanction on them. Now, our natural governments do it through export, import, right? Trading of money. The Lord hurts you even worse. He'll say, we're going to destroy their whole economy, we're not going to give them any more water. <laughs> so Elijah, you just pray that no rain comes. Some of y'all so worried about China and Russia, and nobody's asking, Lord, is there a sanction we should pray about? Because we don't even think this way. It seems unfathomable by us, but yet we are the kings of the earth. Hallelujah. And for three and a half years, the sanction held. Because one man persistently prayed. And I would submit to you that time, three and a half years probably had so many clouds. Don't think it was blue skies. Because when you're standing in faith, the, the, the atmosphere always looks like you're not going to have it. You're about, it probably was, they, I guarantee you, they like saw dark clouds all the time thinking today's just going to rain and it didn't go. I mean, honestly, that's way more discouraging on that nation. Yeah. 
then blue skies. Okay. He's empowered us to reign now. Revelations 1, 5 through 6, the Passion Translation says this, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and firstborn from among the dead, the ruling king, who rules over the kings of the earth. Who are those kings? Come on, who are those kings? Now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his own blood and to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood to serve his father uh, or his God and father, to him be glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. And I'll close with this. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 through 15. New Living Translation says this. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pilate. We know that testimony. I am a king. That you obey this command without wavering. No, no, uh, then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the king of all who are those kings? And the Lord of all. That's who we are. Right now. Not when we go to heaven. Right now. So we have to rise up and be kings. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.